Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. And today we are talking about course correcting ableism. Now, as many of you know, a lot last year we launched a community reads program and the first book that we read was called Academic Ableism by Dr. Jay Domage. Um, highly recommend this book. It was wonderful if you um, struggle with kind of traditional reading, um, definitely check it out on audio. Um, it is available for free, download on Audible. Uh, very accessible book. But uh, we had Dr. Dalmage um, come and speak as a keynote speaker at the AAVMC's Catalyze 2021 annual conference. Um, and what's happened since then is this really amazing set of conversations about ableism in veterinary medicine and specifically ableism in veterinary medical education. Now, many educators were already wrestling with what to do, air quote, and um, yeah, the heavy on the air quotes, uh, what to do about invisible disabilities. But the conversations have evolved to include um, really important and deeply necessary conversations about visible disabilities. Um, and so all of this is really great. It's so exciting. As a diversity director, this is what you want to see. But... I don't want us to lose the thread of um, ableism when it comes to those um, invisible disabilities and the associated um, challenges to access that come with that. So today, um, my guest is Regina Carey, who has spent a lot of time thinking about this and neurodivergence and um, all of the good stuff as both an educator, as an advocate. Um, met her years ago at a wonderful, wonderful meeting at Michigan State talking about ableism, actually. And i um, just so excited to have her back on the show. So, Regina, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. So why don't you uh, tell the folks about yourself and we can get on into it. All right, Lisa. Well, I I have been in the in the arena of education and special education specifically for 30 plus years. And I have also followed my husband through veterinary school, through school and training and internship and residency and PhD. <laughs> and I said, that's enough. Because when the letters start running off the edge of your business card, you're done. So I was very, um, veterinary medicine has been a part of my life and special education is in everything that I do all the work. And believe me, there have been times when I have run from it thinking I need to move away from this. And what I realize is it keeps coming back into my world. And especially during this pandemic, my, um, I got my master's of education at the university of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, <laughs> one of my favorite places of all time to be, specifically in the area of invisible disability. 
I've been working with educators, with students, with faculty, staff, employees, companies, teaching them how to navigate this and really how to make it make whatever it is that they are bringing to the world accessible, not only for their students and their employees, but for the people outside their walls. And, you know, and I said to you initially, this is I'm coming into this speaking about this today as a white female. And I know that there are lots of things that I am unaware of and still ignorant about. And in fact, one of the things that I looked at in the ableism was, do you use the handicap toilet anytime you want, just because? And I was like, oh, I, I am guilty of that. So even the subtleties, sometimes the things we don't think of, we are going to peel back a little bit of that today. I'm going to give you some insight into some of the struggles that students and educators uh, have in this area. And the truth is, at any point, any one of us could be hit with a tragedy, with an accident, with something that all of a sudden makes us a person in this population. Somebody with an invisible disability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it definitely doesn't always look the way that you think it's supposed to look or, you know, how you, whatever the stereotype is, right? So. Right, right. And and right now, for the last uh, six years, I have been doing work as what I'm saying, an impact coach. I call myself an impact coach. Because I always make an impact, but I may not empower you. Empowerment comes Mm -hmm. from self. Mm -hmm. And so I'm an impact coach and a passion instigator. I do get very revved up about this, but I am all about educating, empowering, and advocating for people. And I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's a beautiful thing to do. And I think that I have always, my whole career, been able to see the light in other people. And I help them rediscover that in themselves and move them forward to live a life they really want to live, being true to themselves. Awesome. So why don't we get into it? Uh, So uh, what, let's define disability. What is disability? Okay. So a disability is something that impacts your life. It is a neurological or physical issue that you've got that affects every area, your social, your interactions, your work, your executive functioning. The thing that that is so curious about the invisible disability is we can't see the inner workings of the brain. We can't even test it well enough to capture it because we cannot see the synapses jumping. We cannot see the connections being made. And one day, everything may be working beautifully and the next day, not so much. And it is unpredictable. So when you, when you have a physical disability, you, you have some options of predictability. You've got some idea of some of the struggles that you're facing with an invisible disability every interaction you have, every experience you have, whether you're grocery shopping, reading a book, 
trying to have a conversation with a beloved, you never know when it's going to impact that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So how many people um, are, I guess, estimated, because I'm guessing we probably don't have a hard (laughs) number, but how many people um, have some type of invisible disability? Okay. So the, the, the global number. Yeah of people with disabilities is 1 billion. That's with a B, 16%, 15% of the world's population. So 61 million US adults have an identified disability. And the average is one in four, one in four. Wow. So you're, yeah. 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 And those are, those are, the diagnosed ones, right? So we know that there's just yes. so much. And, you know, and I've, I've told people I'm very open about my own story that I um, uh, have dyslexia um, and, uh, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was in college, right? Yes. <laughs> and many, many people, right? Many people go undiagnosed. Yeah. And, and especially for women, what happens is we fly under the radar so beautifully as kids, because what we might do is, is come home after school and work hours and hours and hours and hours on our homework. And the fights that we have of our parents and the tears and the oh frustration. And then we come to school the next day and we know how to, we know how to behave where we're in school and it look, we look perfectly normal because we have, we have watched Women are very good at observing behavior. I think kids with invisible disabilities do very well looking around to see what the expectation is. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that has been very interesting about the pandemic is this, that is that ability, that superpower that they had to read the room, gone, gone, gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic has upended all kinds of things. And, and, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about some of, you know, who our favorite advocates are and folks that I follow and maybe you follow, but, you know, a a lot of, um, there's been a lot of emotion, shall we say, about how, you know, um, we've all responded to um, the pandemic and working from home and the use of technology and how, you know, um, and how we easily pivoted (laughs) to use so many tools that folks with various kinds of disabilities have been saying, hey, hey, we should be using, can can we get access to these tools because they increase access. And now, you know, yeah, if you you follow some of these folks on, on like Twitter or something, they're like, Oh, now they're able to meet right. it. So it only you know, right, everybody has global yeah. global pandemic. Millions of people dying. Now we'll figure out UDL. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, so what is ableism then? So I mean, I kind of just described it in a back back in backing into it. <laughs> well, you know, it it's so. This is this is not something that rolls off my tongue on a regular basis, Doctor G. It just isn't. So. It, it, ableism is defined, okay? And I'm going to look right here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Prejudice or discrimination against people with disabilities in favor of people who are able-bodied or look normal, live a normal lifestyle. And we know that this 
like everything else, it's across the it's across the social, cultural, yeah. institutional yeah. platforms. Yeah. Yes. It's systemic. It is systemic, just like it is. you know, other forms of um of discrimination and oppression. And I think that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about discrimination and oppression, folks are like, okay, is that really what it is if I did not like say, like, let's, you know, um eliminate all of the people who are blah, blah, blah on crutches. Like, no, it's a lot more subtle than that. Right. Right. Um, And the example that you gave before kind of talking about the ability to read the room deviations from those kind of whatever the norm behavior might be, you know, is punished either socially punished like, Oh, that kid is weird. And we don't want to hang out with that kid because that kid is weird or um, classroom management, right? Like, oh my goodness, you know, Kevin is like acting out. Um, you know, he's yeah. not acting the way that, you know, he's supposed to, right? And so yes. um, it's a lot right. more subtle, um, oftentimes, especially in communities of color, um, especially with like African-American boys, a lot of times they're just punished. Like, hey, your behavior is not okay. Um, we don't want you growing up to be dangerous. So yeah. we don't recognize that, you know, the behaviors might be a symptom of something else. We are very quick to pathologize it, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And that is, you know, this this really boils down to the, the judgment that we put on things. That's good or bad, right or wrong, appropriate, inappropriate. I mean, we have to be really careful about what we see as good or bad. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of this has to do with com- dis- misunderstanding, ignorance. It, what we don't know, we don't know. And when we don't know, we're afraid. Yeah. We'd rather not look at it, not deal with it, put it off to some program who's going to take care of them separate them, give them a special teacher, not let them into into vet school or whatever the case may be. We really have to be very careful because what I believe, especially around students who are interested in veterinary medicine, is they have so many special gifts. They are so talented and they have these subtle, intuitive bits of brilliance Mm -hmm. that go unseen because they're afraid to speak up around those because it doesn't look like everybody else. And, you know, I, I think about this, I think of this example of when I was in college and, and I used to go to the library and see everybody in their cubicle studying in their cubicle. I mean, this is, this is before, I don't know, maybe people had Walkmans, but you really just didn't have music in the yeah. library. So it was an individual person with their books in a cubicle with their head down reading or studying or writing. And I never got it. And I never, I, I wish that I could do that, but no, me, when I'd go into a classroom, I would explode into an empty classroom. I would lay all my books out on four different tables. I would write on the chalkboard. Yes, it was a chalkboard back then. <laughs> write on those chalkboards, move around the room, chew gum, have food, drink, all of it. I needed the space to be able to think. And to this day, that's how my energy is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I went to school with someone who was just did all the right things, did the right things, looked normal. 
got A's, teacher's pet, studied, did everything right. And you know what? She lasted about a minute as a teacher. Wow. When she finally got into education, she realized she didn't like kids. <laughs> and so I was, I was like, well, I got that going for me, at least for a while. But, you know, we got to be, we especially in an institution, like a university, a program, a, a graduate, a veterinary, a medical, human medicine, there's, it's so competitive and we have these standards and everybody thinks that they got to be like other people yeah. and rise at the level that they're rising. And that is untrue. Yeah. Yeah. People take nothing away from today. I want you to know it is not true. It is a myth. You don't have to be like everybody else. And in fact, you want to be different. Yes. 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 I mean, I think that that's also, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, systemic discrimination, it's these kinds of things, um, this, this idea that, oh my goodness, okay, well, the mean accepted GPA was 3.6. So I have to have a 3.6. I have to have this. Um, how many hours did, you know, they have that the folks that got accepted, how many experiential, I have to have this, right? And so um, these types of, you know, the, the pursuit of um, achievement all, already okay. puts us on this kind of, you know, <laughs> mouse yeah. wheel, right? Um, it yeah. already kind of puts us on this wheel. But when we're talking about access, when we're talking about difference that is beyond our control, um, there are kind of these spoken and unspoken rules of engagement, right? And it makes it very, very hard for folks to see the ways in which they shape everyone's behavior in kind of negative ways, right? Even when we talk about the pandemic, I think that the pandemic and ableism, I mean, I know for me within a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Disability Twitter is mad. <laughs> Disability Twitter is really, really mad and they're cussing everyone out. Um, and the reason why it was because for whatever reason, um, you know, their, their access to a lot of the tools that we now use in everyday life for our mm -hmm. convenience as able-bodied people in various ways of um, ability um, are now readily accessible. And for a very long time, without good reason and rationale, these tools were denied to them. Just, yes. just denied. Because it was yes. not how everyone else was doing things. So... Yes. You know, it's we, that kind of systemic kind of thing. Like, oh, well, that's never been done. So we can't, we right. shouldn't do it because it deviates. And if you think about it, it, it flipped all of the able-bodied on its head. That Everyone now knew at some level what it was like to not have access <laughs> to people, yes. to office spaces, to all your files, to your even your, you know, accessible to your brain. We've wiped out our muscle memory in 15 months. We, we, you know, even your ability to go to the grocery store, you'd have to check that you were wearing pants. Like, am <laughs> I out of my shorts and slippers or my boxers? You know, we, we had an experience that is a, a blip yeah. in the day of a person with an invisible disability. Yeah. And I think about the 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 time off uh, when students are on clinics or during vet school, this 
time that they give them to do life, mm. these little blocks. And where a person who I'm going to refer to as neurotypical takes that time to maybe go home and see family, or maybe they take that time to um, do some recreation or go on a little trip. A, a person with an invisible disability, because it never stands alone. So if you've got a learning disability, you probably have some anxiety. If you've got um, you know, PTSD or narcolepsy, you're taking medication. You've got to see a psychiatrist. You've got to see your psychologist. You have to see your general practitioner. So while everybody is taking time to do life things, there's an added component for a person with an invisible disability, getting their, their basic needs met, like filling prescriptions, seeing their doctors, having their sessions, um, doing laundry, which for some can be just those kind of those mundane tasks where we can run down and put a load of laundry and then come up and do a Zoom meeting. And by the way, we've got the dishwasher going and all of the plates that neurotypicals spin, that is not happening. That is not happening. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with their intelligence. It has nothing to do with their effort or their abilities, but it has everything to do with the way their brain is wired. And again, some days it's working, some days it's not. And it's very frustrating. And they are still a beautiful, intelligent, capable human. Yeah. And yeah. we have to embrace that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We do life different, right? I mean, I have a, a daughter um, and we'll talk about kind of the difference between um, and kind of this terminology of neurotypical versus neurodivergent, right? And my, my daughter kind yeah. of loves the, what is the movie with um, the div divergence or whatever? I don't know. Anyway, but, but, you know, yeah, like there's a whole medical team that we have for her. There's a medical team that I have. Um, there's always comorbidities, like, <laughs> you know, um, just in case anybody wants to know. Depression and anxiety always hitch along for the ride. <laughs> they always, they always hitch along for the ride <laughs> and require management as well. And part of it is because sometimes doing life is just challenging because there's extra stuff that you have to shove in at the same time, right? And so, um, so what is neurodivergent versus neurotypical? Okay. So, you know, the, the, first of all, neurodiversity, we all have different brains. Yes. Simple, beautiful. Neurodivergent is a little bit like there's, there's less typical cognitive uh, abilities in, so there's some variation in there. So there's the cognitive variation for neurodivergent, like that you would see in a person with autism. Mm -hmm. or a person with a learning disability, a person with Asperger's, a person with um, bipolar. Mm -hmm. you, have, you have some cognitive variation in there. Neurotypical would be the people who are not, who are not cognitively um, unpredictable. <laughs> so they've got some more, you know, neurotypical yeah. is what we describe as people who are functioning um, they are they're doing life without much mm -hmm. uh, strife, struggle, obstacles, 
that's not to say that neurotypical people are not going through obstacles. I've been, I mean, the, I've been doing my work nonstop 16 hours a day since, you know, all of this started. There are a lot of people dealing with that. But again, the unpredictability of the invisible disability is what is what is it makes life difficult. And I'll tell you what, none of these people want to get off easy. They're not asking for things to be simplified or um, brought down to a level that is subpar. They are not asking for that. And while um, I think I think neurotypical people can ask for supports to ask for help um, in the in the normal everyday life. The the kind of help and and support that people with invisible disabilities need are the kind of things that bring them to a level playing field. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 getting them to the point where they can take in that information, learn that information face that obstacle with broader shoulders yeah with a few more tools with the strategies right there at their beck and call mm-hmm. 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 yeah I mean I think that that it's um, <clears throat> there's always I think we know a lot more about um, neurodiversity now than, than we used to um, yeah happy about that. Um, yes. But I think that there's still a long way to go because I think that there's still, you know, a population that are like, eh, like make a list, um, you know, get a this. Use, or, it, you know. use a timer. Use yeah, a timer. use a timer. That's right. Right. I mean, there was a time in my house, I can just tell you that that sometimes timers work for people. But my daughter also has severe ADHD, which manifests very differently in women, girls and women. Um, but we had kitchen timers, Velcro to half the walls of my house. Guess what? They didn't work. Like <laughs> she was still late. After, to while, right. After a while, it's just like music. It's just a like, ding in the, in the like, ding in the many notifications. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I had like, there were kitchen timers in the kitchen, kitchen timers in the bathroom, kitchen timers on her walls, kitchen timers in the hall. She was still late to everything. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it is um, hard for people who are, neurotypical or who don't even know that they might have some type of of neurodiversity, it's really kind of hard to wrap our heads around sometimes what the exclusion really looks like, right? And so um, so just, you know, for folks that um, don't know, the, the neurodivergence I mean, we're talking, as you mentioned before, everything from um, dyslexia, dyscalculia, there's ADHD, there's autism spectrum, there's, 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 there's traumatic brain injury, which, you know, traumatic brain injury doesn't always look like, you know, you came back from a war zone. I had a car accident a few years ago. I still have concussive, you know, syndrome, like, and so four years later and, it definitely affects me. Like I can't scroll on my phone and have the TV on. Mm, yeah. Like, it, you know, I, I can't, like I, my brain is like, <laughs> no, thank you. I can't do it. Right. So, Too much. Right. Overstimulated, understimulated. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it's really hard. Um, I mean, I, and again, like I say, I'm very transparent about this because I think that people need to understand what it looks like kind of behind the veil 
I don't go to yeah. musicals. Right. I don't like musicals. You want to know why? They overstimulate me. My brain shuts down. Either yeah. I go to sleep or I'm sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I you cannot know. control it. <laughs> oh my God. There's a continuum for you right there. <laughs> but see, you know, even if, and again, I I think that when people have a problem with this, when when they're unable to wrap their head around it or accept it, part of it is I think they they think that people are making it up to get ahead, to making it up so they can cheat. They're not. They're not. And and on this side of on this side of of the work that's being done, I am helping my clients advocate to speak up to be vulnerable and courageous and to say what it is they need. And when they finally get to the point where they can ask those things, they're not favors, they're not special treatment, when they can ask for what they deserve in order to succeed and they are met with this facial expression of, you know, I don't, yeah, yeah, or the tilted head or what are you talking about? Or you look normal. Or people asking them what their disability is, which, by the way, you cannot do. Um, it it defeats, it it minimizes my, the impact of the work that we're doing, and it really is cutting off people at the knees because it doesn't take but one person to cack their head or be dismissive or meet these people with a um, suspicious eye mm-hmm. to knock them out to knock them out for a good long while, you know, and, and here is an example of where a neurotypical person might come back and say, I'm going to do it again. I'll just go to the next level. I will, I will call the person above them. I will go to, Mm -mm. yeah, they're not going to do that. They're going to shut down because you're tapping into things that are very, this is a long line. This is muscle memory. This is, they recognize that feeling and they're going to shut down more quickly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wanted to mention is, you know, I have this yeah. list back here awesome. and I was thinking about this when we were talking about like examples of what maybe some of these students in, in veterinary medicine, what some of your people out in practice. Yeah. I really believe that um, there are more people in your practices that have neurodiversity than you even realize. Yeah, sure. And long, long ago, I was in a, I was in a class about compelling experiences and I learned about Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, phenomenal, phenomenal person who, who coined the, the, the theory of flow. Okay. He was the first one to write about flow. And when I went through and I recognized, I, I took a look at what his eight elements. Now, these are these are some of the earlier ones, but I like the way they're written out more easily. What I recognized in this in these eight elements that were were needed to be present for flow, all I could think of, of is every single student, every one of my clients that I work with, this this is an obstacle. They have an obstacle. Each one they hit at least 50% of these that are obstacles to getting into flow. Mm. And, and you know, Lisa, what flow is. It's, it's that for those of us who love musicals, 
It might be having that experience of live music and just being so transformed in that moment that you lose a sense of time. Maybe it's playing a, a game like tennis or or maybe it's kayaking, being on the water and getting into that rhythm of the paddling. But, but what has to be present for flow to take place is that the goals and the steps of the activity are clear. Mm. They're cl- you know exactly. Like when you're playing chess or, or maybe you're knitting, like you know what the goal is, you know what to do to get there. That is not true for a lot of our, I want you to be thinking students now, or maybe people yeah. in clinic who are serving clients. Not always are the goals yeah. and the steps clear for people with invisible disabilities. They're getting immediate feedback. Well, like you pointed out, that immediate feedback can sometimes put you in a state of tears. Yes. And either we're not, the, the, the invisible disabilities allow that there, there are definitely obstacles for how that input is coming. So you get that feedback. It might not land. It might land with you hours later. It's not immediate. Challenges match the skills. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of times the the challenges that that the students are faced with are they they believe at least way beyond what their skill set is. How do we how do we level those out? Focus, concentration. Need I say anything about that? Operate in the moment, so they're able to be right there, present. Mm, no, they're yeah. probably thinking about an argument they had or something that a professor said to them or an interaction they had in the previous moment, they're not in the present. They're always thinking about the woulda, shoulda, couldas. Now I remember what I was supposed to say kind of thing, or they're worried about what's coming up next. It's rare that they're right there. Feel in control. Lose sense of self-consciousness. Are you kidding? They're so concerned about what everybody else is thinking. You know, I think this is, I think this happens to a lot of us, but so much so for people who have an invisible disability. Yeah. And then time is transformed. Mm. Now this does happen when we've got the hyper-focusing, but it's never a good thing. It's like when you're in flow like, oh, I started at eight and now it's five o'clock. That was so much fun. And if that happened to a person with it, they'd be like, what just happened? I've been on the internet looking at this one thing and I ended up watching, you know, cat videos or whatever, which I think is a thing for vet school. But so all of these elements and the the side story here is one day I decided I was going to call and ask Dr. Csikszentmihalyi out in California Here's me calling from Michigan, you know, in my little office at, at Michigan State. And I thought, I'll call and just leave a message with his personal assistant saying, I have a question. Well, he answered the phone. He answered the phone. And I just about choked. And I, I finally did find my voice and ask him, Dr. Csikszentmihalyi, have you ever studied or come up with strategies to help people overcome yeah. what could be an obstacle in order to get into flow? And he said, Regina, I have not. And it looks like you've got work to do. And I will always remember that because this is essentially what I do. You know, I help people do what they want to do and get the strategies and the advocacy they need in order to do it. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I I heard of that kind of flow thing, but just thinking about it through this lens, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. 
And, you know, when you think about some of the students when they were children and how they even were inspired to want to go to vet school, it's because they were in flow with their animals. They experienced that so beautifully when they were younger. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get into the zone. And I mean, you know, and, and, and to kind of go to the next step where we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the intersectionality around issues around ableism, you know, some of the responses that people seriously cannot help because their brain is reacting to certain, you know, certain kinds of stimuli um, gets misinterpreted, right? And then sometimes that turns into doubling down on stereotypes, doubling down on all of these kinds of things. So, you know, immediate feedback. Yeah. There are some times when I'm like, oh my goodness, like I want feedback, but feedback can give me anxiety. But, but certain types of, again, stimuli will seriously bring me to tears and it's not an emotional response. It's not, it's a physical response, but it's not, I'm on the inside going, please, like, (laughs) Somebody just give me a tissue and hopefully give me a minute so that my body can catch up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we live and, in such a time where yep. we're so time, especially, especially Americans. I'm going to say that, like, you know, we have like yeah. this work ethic that is like, that we don't yeah. allow time for folks, um, for those of us who are neurodivergent to, to actually process. Right. So that ends up just kind of getting blown up into, oh, my goodness, she did not take that well. And oh, my goodness, like, you know, a narrative gets built around it that is completely false. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and I was I I just saw a um, probably was a Nike commercial about about women in sports and, you know, the angry and emotional. And, you know, so I think that there I, I know that that through social media and and our big our big name brands that are working to kind of um just just blow up some of our narratives and help us to rethink and you know it really is when we are here's here's a unsolicited advice suggestion call it what you will but i think when we're ready to learn you know, maybe if you're hearing this conversation today and you think something in you is shifting, it's time to bring some new people into your, into your five, you know, those people you surround yourself, bring in somebody new, learn a little bit more, hire somebody with a disability, have a conversation with an advocate, talk to a parent with a child with a disability, bring somebody in so that you can start to manage your narratives that you can really take a look at what your beliefs are and why you think the way you think a lot of this stuff we grew up with some of the things we say ignorance it's okay and we can always improve that learn 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 so uh to recap regina says diversify your teams Hello. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Diversify your teams, right? Um, so that you get those other perspectives because, I mean, you know, what we're talking about flow is kind of just being in the zone, 
Yes. And some of us can work that eight hours or more and we are so productive. Meanwhile, (laughs) some of us, You know, for those of us, anybody who has a, um, you know, an ADHD kid at home, a kid with ADHD, um, you know, knows that if you are not kind of sometimes monitoring things, they will be up at three o'clock in the morning watching cat videos and they will think that it's eight o'clock at night. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Because they lost several hours and they, and it's not, uh, again, it's not their fault. It's no one's fault. It's just that executive function about time management is just underdeveloped. It's not there in the same way that it is for other people. Um, And it doesn't mean that they can't be successful. I think that, that, you know, this, the issue around intersectionality is definitely something that I've been paying a bit more attention to in this last year as well, because we also know that so many of the tools that you know, typicals, ables, um, were restricting access to even now um, that, you know, we've got global access to a, a lot of things. We know that there are populations that still don't have access because of, you know, poverty, because of redlining, because of all kinds of, of yeah. things that affect um, or marginalized other ide- marginalized identities, right? And so, um, you know, uh, any thoughts on on some of those intersectional issues? I mean, it's just you know, besides they besides them sucking. <laughs> well, you know what? And I think that we need to start asking better questions. I think that we need to stop assuming a lot of of things and ask people. Let let us be good human beings, Dr. G. I want people to say, what do you need? Ask, what is happening? How can I support you? You know, and, and again, constantly be checking ourselves, like looking at what our biases are. That's so difficult to do. I get it. I know we, you know, when we move at warp speed and let's even, let's even simplify this more. Let's slow down. Time is an illusion. You think that you've got to, you know, when we're going at breakneck speed, we are missing things. Yeah. We're missing key identifiers that tell us, you know, just like when it, you, you think about how we used to, as little kids, just look at the ants and watch them go in and out of their little ant hill. And we were watching all those little things that they did. And we were amazed by that. Yeah. Well, let us slow down a little bit. Yeah. So that we can say, what, what, look at this beautiful person. What is it that, what makes them so unique and beautiful? What I have always worked with clients on their strengths. I don't come in and say, hey, tell me what you suck at. What are your weaknesses? And how can we build those up? Nope. Yes. <laughs> what do you do well? What are your gifts? What have you lo- What did you love to do as a child? Lisa, that's the first question I ask my clients. Just out of curiosity, wow. what did you love to do as a child? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, yeah. No, you oh, tell me. me. What did, me? Yes. What did I yes. love to do as a child? So I did read a lot because actually reading when I was a kid was so much easier. I just had better coping skills until there became, you know, adulting is hard. And so 
(laughs) because it's all that extra life stuff that takes up cognitive energy that as I've gotten older, reading is incredibly challenging for me. So now I listen to audiobooks. Guess what the pandemic has meant? I don't have a commute. So that's two hours of reading I've lost. Yes, exactly. Great, a great example. It's, you know, yeah. But, but getting back, I think part of that is it immediately builds a connection because we can all think of something that we love to do as a child. And, you know, reading was not my forte. I climbed trees and I would get, get in that little nook of the apple tree and just daydream and imagine and sing and write poetry and those kind of things. But when we, when we identify that passion, we start to see this human being in front of us in a different light. And, you know, you can, you put all the labels, we do all the labels, the colors, the cultures, the, the family, the, what's your sign, what's your Myers-Briggs, what's your color, which, you know what, I see a human and I am going to say, what are you good at? And how do we build on that? And yes, I know that there's a curriculum. I know that there are expectations, but you know, when, when those students graduate and they get into a setting, they are going to, they are going to be a part of a culture. And if you've got a mission and a vision and you can go back, everybody in that space can tell me what it is that they're working toward and working for and why they love what they do. That's, that's how we blast out because we're going to have this we're going to have this intersection. There's always intersections. Yeah. And maybe that, you know, again, this is an example of maybe me being naive, but it's also me just being truly honest. This is the way I believe we ought to move through life. We can spend all day putting labels on people, but I want to know how are you? What do you need? And what are your strengths? Because yeah. boy, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a great, um, great advice to uh, educators instead of kind of, you know, figuring out, you know, that, oh, what you need is just too much, but really genuinely say, what is it that you need? And, you know, the thing about accommodations, people are like, oh, what are reasonable accommodations? Well, keep in mind that, again, there is this hierarchy, right? So who gets to decide what's reasonable? able ability, right? People with, uh, you know, and and so there's this kind of inherent marginalization. Just genuinely think about what individuals need to be successful and providing access. Folks are really just asking for a chance. They're asking for a chance. Yes. Yes. And and really- If they're going to fail, let them fail on their merits, not because you thought they couldn't do it. Yeah. And, and there's also that financial, I think there's a financial component tied to this yeah. idea of getting people through to the end based on what they're paying as a student or what they're going to end up with. Look, I think we need to look at that too, yeah. because, because if people require time, if a, if a student needs to take a semester or they need to take um, one class in one stretch off, yeah. And we need to start looking at that and looking at equity across the across financial mm. realms. And I'm no I'm not a financial person, but but I I do have these conversations with my husband often about well, just give the student the time off. 
you know, the re the, the what I what I come back to too often is if someone were to die, you know, our cult, our society respects death. Oh, they they yeah. die. Take the time off you need. Yeah. Do whatever you need. We'll make it work for you. But if a person has to take time off to live. Mm. I have got to go. I have got to work with my doctor. I have got to get my medication right. I have got to figure out why I'm unable to flip flop. So you put pers- you put people on night shifts or something in clinics and they're they're morning people. And all of a sudden they're working at night and their clocks all off and yeah. things they're getting sick or whatever. We don't allow for the time to heal or the time to really attend to the self. And we've got to, we already know what the epidemic is with veterinarians. We need to take time to look at when this is in an acute need, then let's pause because get, we've got all the time we need to make this work. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, the financial piece is really important because I think that, that there's really great data. I mean, it's, it's, you know, irrefutable that, that uh, folks who are disabled are more likely to live in poverty or close to poverty. And so when we, you know, restrict access to these programs and to these accommodations, please know that we're also um, limiting access to upward mobility, right? Upward social and economic mobility. And and that's not okay. (laughs) It's not okay. No. No, not okay. You are correct. Yeah. So tell me, who are some of your favorite uh, advocates and activists? Who do you, who do you okay. read? Who do you follow? Who do you like? Yeah, I, you know what? I, this, this, when I, when I think about this question in all honesty, and I am not one to spend a whole lot of time on socials. And I'll tell you why. I put out my positive content Monday through Friday, I really do on Insta, LinkedIn, Facebook. I put out positive, positive messaging, and I'm out. And um, so I'm not a Twitter, not a tweeter, Twitter. Uh, but my favorite, you know, who my favorite activists are? Parents, mm. mothers, mm. the moms. And the organizations that that I have been a part of, that I've spoken for, that I've worked with uh, arm in arm, the Learning Disabilities Association of Michigan and of America, advocates are an amazing group of superheroes. And some of the most powerful ones that I've seen are moms. And I know there's a lot of, I mean, you can, you know, you can Google the influencers, you can. You can see uh, there's so much more visibility, which I love. And I think that it's terrific. The Olympics, you know, it is terrific that we've got these examples. But when it comes down to it, every one of them came out of their mother. Mm. And those moms, you you really want to grow your your thinking, talk to a mom. Mm, Mm, thank you. So uh, I, I you do, tell me who do you I, follow? <laughs> so I'll make yeah, I, I I I travel the slums of Twitter. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's OK. 
okay, somebody's got to. But somebody's got to do it, right? The slums of Twitter and TikTok. Um, definitely, you know, follow hashtags like disability Twitter and disability TikTok. There's some really great folks out there. Um, I am very intentional about trying to follow um, folks with disabilities who are also people of color and or queer, um, just because I'm really interested in that lived experience and that intersectionality and how they talk about it. Um, So uh, I follow um, Crutches and Spice. Uh, She's on the Twitters and uh, TikTok. Um, Handle is Crutches and Spice. I'm trying to think of what her, like, (laughs) government name is that I can't think of it at the moment. Um, The other person that I really like, and I read her book a couple of years ago, is Kia Brown. She Mm -hmm. is, um, uh, she's a writer. She wrote um, her own autobiography, her memoir a couple of years ago, um, called The Pretty One, um, really kind of talks about, you know, her own uh, lived experience as um, an African-American woman with a a disability who also identifies as queer and kind of Mm. what, you know, all the walls that she bumps up against physically and emotionally kind of just areas of like, Hey, this is, this is what's going on. And, um, you know, my life and, and I mean, thinking about dating and thinking about, um, you know, education and all of these kinds of things, thinking about living alone and what does that mean um, for yeah. um, folks in the community? So those are those are definitely two um, accounts that I follow. Um, and uh, this is a uh, Disability Pride Month. So hurrah. Yes. Um, and so there's some really good stuff. Um, yes. out okay. there and um you know some really really fantastic uh accounts out there and just really great um disability content creators that um you know folks definitely definitely check out um great senses of humor don't take themselves too seriously but um you know if if you step on into their space with a lot of ableism expect <laughs> not to be received well <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, and you know, there, there really are so much more, uh, there, there are more opportunities for people to write, to share, to start groups, to have a bigger reach. And we all want, we all want to be good at something. We all want to be seen, heard and understood, you know, and while we cannot fully understand. There's no way any one of us can completely understand anybody else's journey. We can validate it, can be a witness to it. And, and, you know, and when, when somebody is in front of you asking for help, you can say, I see you, I hear you. And let me, let me see if I understand what it is that you need right now in order to be successful, Mm -hmm. you know, and that really, that conversation is is all they're asking you know and I and I know some of the other you know I want to say that I realize there's a lot of communication that happens in emails back and forth to try you know to get the students to, to try to understand but what we're doing is again we're using a system that's not exactly get giving them what they need and it's it's even confusing them more and if any of you know I I get I used to have to turn a map upside down in order to get back home you know 
And, and the same things happen to me when messages get buried in emails, I can't find the original thread and I tend to miss things. And, you know, and, and I, I consider myself pretty neurotypical, but we have to be thinking, is this the best form of communication? Take the time, slow down to have a face-to-face or a phone conversation with a student, with an employee. Take the time, people. This is really, I mean, really, could we just boil it down to like a four-letter word? Time. Time. Come on. Oh, that's great. So, Regina, where can folks find you? Oh, gosh. Look, Monday through Friday, because she is not online. <laughs> so I'm at, at Coach Me. I have a, I have a personality. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm all over in different places, but at Coach Me Carry, Coach Me Carry on the socials and uh, ReginaCarry.com. You can find all my things. All right. And again, I only put out stuff that is feel good, uplifting. Not because I'm Pollyanna, because this is how I live. And you know what? This living has kept me healthy all through the pandemic, even though everyone in my household had it. I have been showing up every day to support people on their journeys for the last however many years. But I am strong and healthy and whole. And I believe everyone else deserves to feel strong and healthy and whole. And, you know, it starts with you. It starts right. with you. I think that is a great place for us to wrap up. Thank you so much, Regina, for uh, joining me for this discussion. Uh, this has been another episode of AABMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and like us on our Facebook page. On Facebook, it's AABMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Uh, So, yeah, stay tuned. Um, More shows to come. 